music lovers. <laughs> oh mercy! What a great, what a great start to this Can podcast. Can you imagine someone like turns this on and that's what they hear? I hope it is. I hope that we keep this uh, wonderful music lovers. Music lovers, welcome. Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm I'm fine, everybody. I'm great. Yeah, you are. In my world, you are everybody. Ah, ah. Hey guys, welcome to the first uh, episode of this uh, new podcast. Brand spanking new. Brand spanking new. That's right. Fresh out of the oven. <laughs> Please keep listening. Please keep listening. Yeah, don't let don't let that initial jackassery throw you off. This is a excellent podcast. We swear. Anyway. Um, and everybody, uh, welcome. Thanks for listening. Uh, this podcast uh, that we're starting is going to be titled Blown Wide Open. Dun, dun. <laughs> Amazing. And um, just so you know, in the first 30 seconds uh, what you're actually listening to, this is going to be a podcast that uh, we are starting about music. My name is Ian James. I'm Adrian Emond. Adrian Emond. And we're going to talk to you about some cool music stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. I am too. Um, just a quick little uh, sort of backstory, I guess. We got the idea for the podcast because um, we both work at the same job. We work at a guitar store in in um, Vancouver, Canada. And um, we're obviously both huge fans of music. And um, we're also fans of music in different ways. And I think that was sort of the initial thing about this podcast that we thought would be interesting yeah absolutely that you uh you adrian come from more of the technical side of it and uh we'll talk a little bit about that too as to what qualifies you to be the technical guy in this duo uh and i come from more of a sort of i don't know trivia and uh historical side of things when it comes to music so i think that we make a good duo i have no qualifications for that other than i'm just a huge nerd <laughs> yeah. I guess that also makes you qualified for your side of things too, doesn't it? But like, you know how to play guitar. I do, yes. Uh, you Adrian... understand music and you play in bands and... Yeah, for the most part. And you're um, a great singer. Oh, get out of here, you. You you, you dog, you. <laughs> um, but before we get into uh, this first episode and uh, why we named the podcast what we named it, uh, Adrian, why don't you give us a little bit of backstory about your, uh, your sort of uh, musical journey? And try to keep it brief, would you? Okay. Um, I started playing guitar. It's already too much. Yeah, yeah. Could you make it a little bit more condensed? Perfect. You nailed it. That way, you know what speaks better than the music, really. Exactly. Yeah. But why don't you speak and I'll stop being a... Yeah. A pain? <laughs> well, I, I make no promises about that. Yeah. I started playing guitar when I was five years old and um, took music lessons sort of my whole life. I went to college. I studied at uh, Selkirk College in Little Nelson, BC, uh, yeah. where my main area of focus was music composition. Um, so that really got into sort of the the technical stuff, uh, if that's what we're going to refer to that as. Um, and now I live in Vancouver, and I play in some bands, and I do stuff, and yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That's you. Um. I think you're sort of. Uh, I mean, I appreciate your. <laughs> I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate your uh, condensing it, but I think that was a little too condensed. I think you're you're selling yourself too short, and I'm. Uh, I mean this as a compliment. <laughs> That's very nice. Um, yeah, you went to music school. Yes, 
like you know you went to a college and and studied music as a to, as a means to further your profession as a as a musician yeah yeah which, and just as i think as a, a a thing to do with life you know like to take in what music is and and, and give myself the opportunity to learn more about it hmm that that would be i i would very much in, like to enjoy it I, I would very much enjoy to do that as well to just if I, if I had the money and the time of course to just go to a music school just to not necessarily to parlay it into a job of some kind um because it hasn't to, done that it music school leads <laughs> to no professions well i mean it's it's you know it's nice work if you can get it as they say how many people do you know that have been to like recording school um that are legit working in the in the in the recording industry like zero zero but you've met a ton of people yes but none of them we work with another well, guy yeah that has been I, to I, music i've school. definitely met people that have gone to recording school and, and done done well for themselves but oh really it's, oh yeah um how many i can think of like one person off the top of my head out of how many lots really yeah. give me a number 20 30 10 50 100 maybe like 20 yeah oh one out of 20 is not that great <laughs> yeah i i know that uh there i've i probably know yeah, 10 guys and zero are making their living in the uh, recording music as a living. We're just hanging out with the wrong people. Evidently, geez. Yeah. Maybe we should just stop this podcast now yeah. and stop hanging out with each other. Um, my musical background is uh, is definitely more of a sort of a down-home, you know, self-taught kind of thing. I started playing guitar when I was... I don't know, 14 or 15, somewhere in there. I was a sort of a teenager when I started and I was, I was inspired by my mom, um, playing, you know, the Beatles and oldies. We used to have an oldies station where I grew up. I grew up in a very small town in rural Saskatchewan and we had about, I would say without exaggeration, we probably had 10 country stations, radio stations and one oldie station. So every morning when we were getting ready for school, we'd listen to oldies um, so I was always around that good old stuff and, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this on another podcast, but actually seeing, funnily enough, seeing, um, Randy Backman, uh, was an early like, Hey, that guy plays guitar. He's pretty cool. I should, I want to do that. Yeah. It's uh, funny that you and me have that in common too. Yeah. It's weird. I really like that. Canadians, you know how it is. Totally. Um, and actually, uh, another kind of funny thing is, um, I'm, I am not a, I'm, I, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm stuttering because I'm about to bring up atheism, but uh, I don't want to turn this into that kind of podcast. Well, maybe I do, but uh, I'm an atheist now. But when I was a kid growing up in a really small town, you really, you went to church more as a social function, more than really anything spiritual or, um, you know, theological. Sure. Um, and uh, the pastor, I was a Lutheran church. It was a pretty swinging, like, it was not if you're gonna if you if you're you know not a a spiritual or religious person you kind of want to get into a church that's pretty like laid back and kind of you know not they don't push it in your face i would check out the lutheran church they're a bunch of cool people um anyway uh the pastor uh, pastor greg was his name this ad was not sponsored by the lutheran, <laughs> the church. lutheran church there's a storm coming um <laughs> you know what that is a reference to um, nobody does. Nobody does. A storm is coming. Um, look it up, kids. Anyway, he uh, was a big, burly dude. Had a big red beard. He was just like a, <laughs> just a huge, like Viking looking guy. 
Um, but he would play guitar um, when he would sing, and we would sing oh, hymns really? and stuff. Yeah, and I, I just I remember I was a really young kid. Sure. And I just remember that was kind of the first time I might have been in the same room as someone playing a guitar. Uh, so I remember that was sort of an early like, oh, that guitar's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, um, now I've I've talked sixteen times as long as Adrian did. <laughs> Sorry, man. It's okay. Um, but uh, I didn't tell you to keep it short, so that's true. Yeah, I'm I just a, I gave you free reign. I'm such a you're dick. running this thing. Apparently, so. yeah. Anyway, so beyond that, I just I picked up a guitar and learned some Beatles stuff, and you know, took guitar lessons for a couple years through my school, through high school, for an extra credit, I might add. Nice. And uh, the rest is pretty much uh, self-taught. So that's that's where I'm at. So I often. And I will put it out here on the on the internet. If it's on the internet, you know it's true. I envy Adrian's uh, uh, technical wizardry on the on the guitar and and other instruments too. So I I salute you, sir. And I salute you, sir. Uh, get out of here. Let's move on. Let's talk about some music. So uh, when we were talking about doing this podcast, we we found out that uh, we shared a lot of the same music. Actually, a lot of the same yeah. tastes. Um, we do also differ in a lot of ways, but. Um, a lot of the same uh, sort of elements of music, uh, things that 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 music uh, gets into, such as movie scores and and video games and things like that. We found that we we um, we we share a lot of the uh, of similar tastes. I mean, we're going to do an episode on uh, on John Williams. Yeah, because, that's really exciting. Yeah, and uh, because of our love of Star Wars, uh, one of the things that we bonded over very early is is our love of Star Wars. I'd say within like the first five seconds of. Yeah, friends. That's... Yeah, that's a that's a it's it's kind of a it's kind of a funny story. Maybe we'll maybe we'll tell it another day. Yeah. Um. But uh, today's episode, uh, the inaugural episode, um, when we came up with the name of this podcast, "Blown Wide Open," that is of course a reference to one of our collective favorite bands, a Big Rick. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so we thought there's, there's no other, uh, a band that we can possibly, uh, go with for our inaugural episode than, uh, you know, the namesake of this podcast, uh, Big Wreck. Yeah. It's also a band I think that we, uh, like have bonded over, but, uh, I feel like we've shared experiences as in our friendship with, with Big Wreck, you know, it's, it feels like it's a part of our friendship. Totally. Totally. Um, and I think one of the things that makes them so enjoyable is how, in a lot of ways, how criminally underrated they are. It's really bad. And because, and we'll get to this as we go along with the podcast, but really, Big Wreck is Ian Thornley, um, the sort of lead singer and guitar player. That man, aside from being a total stud, I might add, very good looking good looking dude he's like a tall wire he's like six five he's like a really like like just like muscular like lean tall dude and he's got hands like freaking you know like andre the giant like he's just a just and like it's pretty crazy and all i'm saying this this sounds like a love letter to him and maybe it is but uh he's such a damn rock and roller and he can play guitar so well but unlike some other bands that i could that i could name his extreme skill doesn't get in the way of the songwriting you know what i mean like he doesn't like just go over the top like like say dream theater or somebody like that where it's like it's almost so technical that they're just showing off and there's no heart i don't get a lot of heart out of dream theater you know what i'm saying yeah but with big wreck 
I feel as though there's the technical wizardry. If you want to get into it, it's there. But if you just want a great song that you can rock out to or a great song that kind of touches you in a certain way, they have that for you. And I think, well, who wouldn't like this band? But evidently, they're criminally, criminally underrated. They should be huge. They should be a massive worldwide phenomenon. But evidently, they're sort of... um. I don't know, just like kind of a nut, like, I don't know. Like I a, feel like they're a band that were caught in the wrong time. They they sort of came out of that grunge thing, but they're right before the 2000s when, you know, the, the Backstreet Boys and, and all that kind of stuff started to take over pop yeah. music. That's a good point, actually, because uh, this episode, we're going to talk about their debut album, for the most part, um, uh, entitled In Loving Memory Of, um, which... Uh, which came out in 1997 um which was sort of like right smack in between that sort of grunge had died um and then right and then right after that the kind of the boy bands sort of rose yeah, to you also prominence. Have like spice girls and britney spears like just mainstream music was going through a massive massive shift yes guitar i think too is is was becoming less of a prominent instrument yeah, I agree, and I think that if you take a look at some of the other bands um, that were popular at the time, there's nary a guitar among them. Yeah. Um, but um, let's talk a little bit um, about uh, about the album In Loving Memory Of. Uh, it was released October 7th, 1997. Uh, it was recorded at uh, Present Studios in Toronto, Ontario, and it came out on Atlantic Records, which is pretty cool. That's a pretty sweet gig it was through a canadian subsidiary but nonetheless it was distributed in the states and yeah, by atlantic that's a big record label i absolutely and to give you guys a little bit of perspective of uh of what was sort of popular at that time as adrian sort of alluded to the best-selling album of that year was spice by spice girls really that is key wrecked and i have a list here in front of me of all the sort of um uh the the sort of the the best-selling albums by week um, for that year, and I'm not going to read them all, but um, there is, well, I would say maybe 10% have guitars in them. The rest are all either sort of pop bands, which may or may not have guitars, um, and a lot of rap and hip-hop and whatnot. So, um, you know, and then the Men in Black soundtrack, which was, I don't know. Did you like that movie, Men in Black? Yeah, I like that series. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's fun for the kids. It's fun for the kids. I don't have kids, but I if I did, I would show them that movie at a, the right age. Yeah. And that was back when Will Smith was just like untouchable. Like Will Smith was the man. But I digress. U2 came out that year. Pop. But yeah, so it was sort of a strange year. Uh, but uh, despite that fact, um, In Loving Memory Of sold uh, 2 million copies. Wow. Not bad, right? Um, so that is, uh, sort of the rundown of the album. Now, uh, did you want to talk about some tracks there, Adrian? Yeah, I think we should just kind of run, kind of hit the, the big ones, I guess. Uh, the biggins? Yeah. But also talk about some of the smaller tracks on there, but I kind of just want to go through it bit by bit. Oh, do you now? Yeah. Do, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to do that. Okay. I want to do it. Um, so, uh, the, uh, the opening track of this album, uh, The Oaf... Yeah, uh, my luck is wasted. Um, was actually charted higher in the states than uh, than arguably at least my 
sort of favorite, one of my favorite songs on the album, one of the more popular ones, that song, Mm -hmm. which we will talk about in long form in several minutes. Yes. Um, But uh, yeah, the Oaf, I mean, it, it, that was the hit in America, which I kind of find strange. It's a fantastic song, but I don't know. I think that there's better songs on that album that could have been a number one. But hey, I think if I, if I was if I was Ian Thornley and Big Rack, I'd be like, I don't care what song you pick, just give me my money. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's uh, what say you about this song, there, Adrian? Do we want to hear a little bit of it? Oh, I think we do. It's amazing. It really is. It's, uh, it's, I mean, one thing that Big Rec does really well that I think might be lost on some bands nowadays is the groove. Yeah. Um, they, uh, I was watching, um, and I'm sure we'll get to this artist at some point as well, but I was watching, uh, the Michael Jackson documentary about, about the album Bad, and they talk a lot about that. Like, Michael Jackson had the, had a perfect sense for the groove. And you would know that, you know, the groove was right, the tempo was right, the beats per minute was right when when Michael started dancing around the studio. Right. And when it's like, and when he started dancing, you're like, yep, that's it. Okay, write it down. That's the tempo. That's the groove. Lock it in. And that's sort of what it is. So I think, and I think that sort of idea is maybe a little bit lost in music today. You don't get that groove anymore. Maybe not since since Pantera did you kind of get that groove. I think, uh, you know, talking about like tempos, um, that's a thing that's very uh, methodically thought out now about what the tempo of a song should be. But it's not thought about in the same way that it used to and that we would think of it as, uh, does it make you dance? Does it? How does it make you feel? Everything is so locked up to the grid now with a lot of the music that is kind of pumped out into the mainstream. Yeah, and that's really a shame. Um, and I guess maybe if you want to really quickly... For for somebody that's listening that may not know what we mean by that, by locked to the grid, um, do you want to maybe really quick um, and remind me, because I want you to go back and play the intro of this song Sure. Um, before I forget. But why don't you uh, just give us a real quick sort of explanation of what you mean by uh, to the grid and yeah. contrast that to how it was back in the old days. Sure. So nowadays, the way things are recorded generally is through software, and um, it's digital. So we which can... we are currently doing. I yeah, yeah, uh, good old Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, so when you're recording, you can lock things to a grid, and that grid uh, in the software is kind of showing where quarter notes should be, and quarter notes are a measurement of time, uh, or I guess it depends really on the time signature that you're in. But I'm talking for the sake of. 4-4 four, four time. Show us show us what a quarter notes would sound like on a guitar. Well, in 4-4 four, four time, and depending on what the tempo is, of let's, course. I'll, I'll pick a tempo and I'll play, I'll strum quarter notes uh, on a wonderful C major chord. There you go, kids. That's it. That's Good today's job. lesson. Yep. So, um, now... Quarter notes. So, uh, out of four... Two, three, four, one, two, yeah, there's a three, beat. four. There's every, a quarter note for every beat. That's correct, yes. Thank so you. 
when we record things nowadays, we record to something called a click track, and that click track is generally pumping out quarter notes into your ears while you're playing. And uh, then whoever the engineer is will generally go back and edit things back onto the grid because you can cut and paste audio and, and line it up perfectly. You could do this in the old days with tape, but it was really, really hard to do because you had to physically splice the tape, figure out where the beat was, and then put the piece of tape there. It's a lot of work. They just didn't do it because it's hard to do. It, it didn't make sense. Um, and you, that's where digital gave a huge advantage, so everybody started locking things to the grid. You watched um, Dave Grohl's excellent documentary on Sound City? Yeah. If you, uh, if you haven't seen that documentary, I would highly recommend watching it, but there's a scene where they demonstrate exactly what we're talking about. Um, they show how they would edit a drum track using tape, using literal, like, you know, cassette tape from back in the day. That's what we're talking about. I'm sure everybody knows what that is um, for the most part. Um, but you had to go into the tape, literally get out your razor blade and splice out what you didn't like or move, as Adrian was saying, move it over or, or you had to move a physical piece of tape over to the where the where so it was in time with everything else and it took yeah whatever, it's, it's hours and hours and hours or whatever it would be um and now you can do it in literally half a second you can just highlight yeah. it hit delete on your keyboard and it's gone and then well there's even a thing in pro tools called beat detective so it does a lot of the work for you and then it right. finds where the beats are and then you hit a button and it moves yeah, them over that's like yeah that's crazy to me However, now contrast that to, to, to the sort of the, what we were talking about before about the groove and the... Yeah, so I think in the, you know, the 50s, 60s, even 70s, um, there's groove is just like a thing that happened. It wasn't, you know, sometimes you'd play to a click because that was still a thing that you could do. But really a lot of the recording was about relying on the drummer and trusting the drummer. Right. And so much stuff was done live off the floor as well. So... That meaning that the whole band plays together versus uh, the way a lot of records are recorded now is that everybody plays their part individually on a different day at a different time. Yes. And then it's mixed together. Yeah. The Beatles recorded their first album in one single day. Right. In a 12-hour period, they recorded their entire album. They basically um, just said, okay, start. They hit the record button and they just played as if they were playing a live show at a concert or whatever, but they just recorded it and that was their album. That's how albums were made. Probably, I mean, geez, I mean, I know that some bands still do it to today and obviously some bands did it in sort of the 90s, but that's sort of when it started to go away. But I mean, even like Van Halen albums were done that way. Where yeah. You would just all sit in a room, you would all look at each other, somebody would start, they'd hit record, there's your album, done. Yeah. Um, so when Adrian and I are talking about sort of the groove, the groove is something that it's, it's almost intangible. It's, it's, it's not a thing you can quantify, or at least not in my own head. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling. It's the, it's the pulse. It's the, it's the heartbeat of the song, but it's not something that you can just bottle and, and say, okay, now this song has groove. It just, it either yeah. does or it doesn't. I think a lot of what groove does is push a song forward. It doesn't feel like the song is stuck in the same place. Um, whereas I feel groove, like, and you hear it right off the bat in that song when the drums kick in, that song is grooving along. It's pumping along. Oh, yeah. Totally There's no stopping it. No, it's great. Yeah, I agree. Um, play me the intro of that song, would you please, sir? Yeah, I would love to. I just want to just really quickly, because we talk about... I remember very clearly... Um, you know, buying this album uh, back in the day. Um, 
you know, I uh, I remember very clearly uh, in my tiny little small town where I grew up, where we had the one radio station that wasn't country. Uh, <laughs> I remember when we got. I remember, like, this is how I'm. I am not exaggerating. When I was growing up, we had the two channels on yeah. TV, and that was it. And I remember when we got cable, and the cable when cable came to my town, when cable became available in my town, I was like. I don't know. I, I don't remember how, you know, how old I was, but I had to have been like maybe 10 or 11 or whatever. So I had right. gone a significant portion of my life, a third of my life, basically, without having any sort of cable television. I know that sounds like first world problems, but you, you didn't know. really exist till cable came along. <laughs> well, and owing to the point I'm about to make, I don't think I really existed or I really got my mind open to a lot of modern music until much music became yes. available. And uh, Much Music being, if you don't know, f- uh, intrepid listeners, is sort of Canada's version of of uh, MTV. Yeah. And they would play videos and they would have the video jockeys and the yada, yada, yada. Um, and that was also back when MTV and Much Music actually played music videos. That was the... There were large stretches in the morning where there just music videos would play. I used to love when oh. I was homesick because I would just put the TV on and I would listen to music all day. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember coming home from school, and if I wasn't watching, you know, when I was sort of a younger teenager, and maybe a younger than that even, I would come home and I would watch Bill Nye the Science Guy. Oh, yeah. And Zaboomafu or whatever. Yes. Back when it was called Kratz Creatures for all you old school OG listeners out there. <laughs> um, you know, I would watch like that block on, on PBS, and I'd get my <laughs> science fix. But when I got a little older and, you know, whatever, I maybe fell out of, out of love with Bill Nye. I would put on, and much music came around, you would watch the video flow, quote unquote, and they would just have videos for blocks of several hours. Yeah. And um, anyway, I remember, because um, obviously, uh, uh, M, uh, much music, I should say, uh, being a Canadian uh, uh, station, would play a lot of Canadian content. So we got a lot of the sort of, um, I remember it was a really huge deal when... Um, uh, Tragically Hip's uh, Trouble at the Hen House came out. Right. It was the, the big, huge deal that uh, Ahead by a Century was the, this is the video debut. And I remember watching that a lot, like, as it was happening. They're like, this is the video debut of the new Tragically Hip song. I mean, that was, think about just... Those think, are big moments. Think about that for a second. Like, yeah. that is just, that's crazy. But anyway, the whole point of this is that uh, Big Rec uh, came on. Um, and you get to hear uh, this intro. And you just you say like, you just ask yourself like, how did they do that? Yeah. What sound is that? What so, a wonderful way to bring an audience into an album. Oh, totally. Because it's kind. Of, I mean, even to this day, I mean, Adrian and I work at a music store where we sell guitars and guitar pedals and this and that and the other. I I have no idea how he's making that sound. It's like a delay pedal, but I then also a deli- tremolo. Yeah, it's and it's delay like, tremolo and um some sort of modulation which would yeah be like, and there's some phaser in there but i think the i think the tremolo and the and the delay are in sync yes so you're sort of getting this really choppy sort of feel and i defy you to find any album released that year 
I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. But I bet you, I would bet dollars to donuts that there isn't an album that year that came out that had that creative, that interesting, that guitar-based type of intro on an album. I would be hard-pressed. I bet you there isn't a lot of albums that year that was that that cool. Yeah, and what I really like about this song is, is it really blends um, a lot of the what had just come in guitar, which was 80s guitar playing because 80s guitar playing is almost like a very specific thing sure it's uh very very technical lots of tricks are used on the guitar um and he also is able to combine the blues thing which is more about like you know as we were talking like feel and and emotion yeah and not so much about trickery and and kind of playing flashy He's able to combine the two. He uses the 80s bag of tricks as a way to express emotion and to play things. When you really listen to this track, there's some really crazy stuff that he's doing. Like it's very subtle, but like things like pinging on the guitar, which is uh, which I'll demonstrate. It's that sound. So what you're doing is you're strumming where the strings are attached to the, the headstock of the guitar at the very top. Yeah, it's a weird sound. Yeah. But you can really hear it in that. There's parts where you just hear that ping. It's, uh, it's. I mean, it's, yeah, again, like, it's it's really putting the guitar to the forefront. And I mean, these, uh, how Big Rec sort of formed as a band is that, uh, is that Ian Thornley was uh, going to Berkeley. Um, Berkeley College of Music. Berkeley College of Music, yes, to be more specific. So he surround, he himself is, of course, a monster musician, but he's also surrounded by other top tier musicians i mean this is not just some rinky dink fly by night you know college for musicians to go hang out and smoke weed like this is like the real deal um you'd probably have a better perspective on kind of how important that place is sure it's a very influential place because it's a place that a lot of musicians found um their sound and and like-minded people there's a lot of people that go there for six months and then leave because they've they realize that there's more they they found the right people they just that's what they needed hmm. they didn't need education they just needed to be sent out into the world and that was kind of maybe like a catalyst for them interesting I think there's actually quite a I would imagine somewhat of a high dropout right there it's also a very large school I'm sure they also graduate a lot of people you know I but I imagine, imagine there's a lot of you know I feel like a lot of the big guys that went there like Dream Theater John Mayer. I don't think those people graduated from there. They just went for a little bit and found the right people and left. And and Big Rec is certainly among that crew. Yeah, I I mean, it, it seems to me that if you you know you get you meet the people you need to meet and then you go out and get a record deal, it's like, well, you know, what would I have done if I would have graduated and I would have been like a guitar teacher or something like that in some strip mall, like big yeah. deal. So now you can go and be a rock star. Of course, you're going to do that. John Mayer went to Berkeley. That's correct. Really? Yep. Oh, kind of like after he had become famous, he went there. No, 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 no. Yeah, way before. Wow, that's yeah. uh, I did not. Know he that. didn't. He didn't like it though. I don't think. Yeah, well, because it's he's never mind. Let's not, <laughs> let's, not speak, <laughs> let's not speak ill of of John Mayer. I've actually, you know, I used to, I used to not like John Mayer. I used to think he was just a you know pop star or whatever. But I actually, you, Adrian, have kind of turned not kind of you have absolutely turned me around. And people kept saying, like, you know, kind of ignore the first album and kind of wait till he started playing guitar for realsies. And then, you know, he's he's a way better artist than than 
than than he, than he's perceived to be. I guess you know. It's funny because I'm not even his biggest fan either. But I, I, he as a guitar player, you gotta respect. Oh, him. he's a tasty mofo, man. Yeah. He's it's I, you know. Now that I've listened to a few of his albums and I have an appreciation for it, I'm definitely not a devotee. Yeah. But uh, but you know who I'm a really way be- and who's way better is Ian Thornley. Oh, are you joking me? <laughs> oh, he's ten times the guitar player, and I would say almost like almost literally 10 times a guitar player that John yeah. Mayer is. And, I mean, like, it's, you know. and also 10 times less famous. Yeah, right? Which oh, is really... An, he's better looking than John Mayer, too. Yeah, he's tall. He's yeah. We're really focusing on how he looks. I just... I mean, <laughs> yeah. Listen, you know, which is cool, man. He's a good looking, just, you know, burly... I've seen, I've seen them twice live, and you've seen them about that, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah. it, it's not just in pictures. In person. It's in person when oh, you yeah, see he him. He dresses he's, super nice. He's got like he's energy got, and his fashion is out of control fashion he's got the super cool hats and stuff i mean red pants he's just a monster that dude he's just he's a rock star he's just he's he exudes that sort of rock star feel yeah um let's um let's move on to song two on the album which i would say i because and and being a canadian i think this is also easy to say is probably the most well-known arguably most important song on this album definitely of that song yeah uh, what a it's it's amazing I, I talk about it for a little bit let's let's indeed um i think this was sort of like the song at least to me that kind of got me into the band um like i remember when it came out i remember hearing it um you know it's just it just it really is an incredible song um i'm gonna play a little clip of it why don't you yeah don't listen to me talk listen to the song So good. It was really hard to turn the volume down on that. I we could have just had a podcast listening to that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we would be breaking some uh, fair usage laws. Um, yeah, man. I mean, geez, like what? I do also just like really want to talk about the intro because that is the meat and potatoes of this song. Is the intro? Yeah, absolutely. Why yeah. don't you put it on? So this is uh, the song starts with just the hook, basically this great riff. It's almost um, by contrast to the oaf, you know, where the the oaf has that big kind of, you know, the the really heavily affected guitar kind of intro kind of lulls you in. This one just goes, boom, knocks you out of the blocks. Yeah, it starts with a bang. It starts with a bang and it starts with the riff. Um, why don't you tell us about that riff, Adrian? Yeah. So we were just talking about how Ian Thornley went to Berkeley College of Music. 
Um, the music school that I went to uh, basically actually uses Berkeley textbooks. Uh, so I learned a lot of what Berkeley students would learn. Um, right. Also, some of the teachers that my college um, worked at Berkeley and taught at Berkeley. Um, so I feel like I have sort of fair insight into what you could learn at Berkeley College. And uh, one of the things that you kind of the first thing you get into as a, uh, a music student and that sort of program is learning something called the modes, which are what um, musicians use as a way of uh, building chords and stuff from scales. They're sort of like scales within scales. Right. Um, it's uh, probably too much to get into for the sake of, of this. Uh, we'll get into it in another episode. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but... What it allows you to do is kind of justify kind of more interesting notes than, say, what a regular major scale would offer. Um, this song, for example, is in a scale called the Lydian scale, which is based off of um, a major scale. Um, but it's got uh, one, little, would one you, little funny note. Would you would you say that um, like modes and scales and such are kind of like um, what sort of gives a series of notes its character? Yes. It's color. There is a thing that uh, when you're identifying modes, something called a characteristic pitch. And what that is, is the note that makes that particular mode special. Right. And and how it differentiates from either a major or a minor scale. I'll I'll quickly like maybe play and demonstrate sort of what that sounds like. Would you? Yeah. So uh, a major scale for the sake of argument sounds like this. So that's a major scale. Everyone's heard that. Yeah. Everyone and, knows what that is. Yeah. And then just to also hear a, a regular minor scale. Yeah. Yeah. Again, everyone's heard that. Yeah. Now, um, the Lydian mode uh, is based off a major scale, but it has something that we call a sharp four. So that's where we take the fourth note of the scale and we raise it up by one semitone or one note. Uh, and that gives you this sound. So this, this note. And you can hear instantly how the character of that sort of scale, that yeah. series of notes, changes. And it allows you to now build chords using that that note um, so that you can get kind of funny, funny sounding things like... That would be like a, a Lydian sound. That's not. Um, but it sounds cool. Yeah. So uh, now the opening riff uses this Lydian scale. So um, it sounds like this. So there's that this note. That's what makes this riff so special. It's not just an ordinary riff. If you were to play that riff, but do it in the major scale, it it, it doesn't sound as exciting as that, uh, which would sound like this. Yeah, it's crap. Yeah, it's 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 it, it almost it's not as there's no ethereal quality to it. Definitely not. And. Uh, when we're talking about the Lydian scale, it, it is often referred to as something that has an ethereal quality. And what I really like about uh, Ian Thornley using this riff and the way this song, the lyrics are, what they're describing is is that idea of, of nostalgically remembering a song. 
Right. And the irony is just beyond, you know, imagination that this is a song that people, it is that song for them. Yeah, I mean, he had to have thought of that. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a it's a wonderful kind of whim of luck, if anything. But. Yeah, because, I mean, well, maybe he didn't, because, I mean, these guys are a pretty big band in, in some circles, but, you know, when they're recording this album in Toronto, Canada, which, you know, for we, we're Canadian, we love being Canadian, but in the grand scheme of things, really the United States and the UK is where most of the world music comes from when it comes to pop yeah, absolutely. music. Yeah, sure, we had Celine Dion and, you know, people like that. And I guess Alanis Morissette, you know, she has one of the top-selling albums of all time, and she's Justin Canadian. Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber. If you say his name again on this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> we, I will well, shut we, it down. We, we actually bleep that shut out. Shut it down! Yeah, we bleep that out so no one knows what <laughs> okay, I said. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, okay. I, would you, please? <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe we'll have an episode about him. Um, but I guess... I, what I'm trying to say is that, like, do you think that when they were writing the when they were writing that song, do you're like, oh, this is going to be that song for someone? I somehow doubt it. No, it's impossible to predict that. You know. Yeah. Do you think that when you know the Beatles were writing, you know, "Please Please Me" or something, were they like, yeah, this is going to make us stars? Do you think any artist really thinks that? I think when they, I think when the Beatles had written, like, I think they knew when they were making Sgt. Pepper. I think they knew, like, oh yeah, this is like an amazing album. I, 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 think, I think they like, knew it. Yeah, Pink Floyd said that about Dark Side of the Moon. They 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 felt like, oh, we really got something here. Yeah, but if they have it already been established by that time, that's correct. So it's yeah. Easy for them to say like this album feels good. But I bet you no first album is ever like you know, oh, this is going to change the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe in your back of your head you want that to be true, but I think that it's. I don't think any artist in their right mind would assume. Yeah, it's going to be the best album of all time. Yeah, but, that's true. You know. Um. Anyway, carry on if you have some more stuff to say about that uh, about that riff. So the riff sort of echoes throughout the song. Um. There's a part uh, after it slows down where it kind of picks up into a heavy riff, and they basically use that Lydian note again. Um, uh, but they do it lower, and they sort of change up the feel or the groove of the tune a little bit there. So that's where you get this riff. <laughs> That's using this. Yeah, it's a really great sound. It it really is. It has a. It's a different type of resolution for me. That the idea of the sharp four, uh, the way it resolves, it can resolve down. Resolving meaning, I guess, really, it's in itself the um, the feeling of resolution that has tension to it. But when I let it go, that sort of feels like home. Right. If you if that was the last sound you heard in a song, you'd be like, ooh, that's, yeah. that sounds strange. And maybe that's what the artist is going for. But yeah. a resolution would mean that, you know, it 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 comes back to that home, as you said. I think that's a really good thing, a really good way of describing it if you're not a musically inclined person. A lot of these things, if you, if you love music, but you're not necessarily a musician, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing you feel. It's your home. You feel like that riff, you know, is especially even when you refer to the key of a song what song what key is this song in it's what feels like home yeah what feels like where the song always returns to and that feel is sort of the key of the song in an extremely simple way of looking at it absolutely yeah, yeah. and what's the key of this song it's it's d lydian d lydian yeah so sweet yeah very cool 
Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, unless there's anything else you want to talk about with that. I think of... that's really the main point I wanted. Uh, also, uh, one thing I would like to say about Big Rec is that um, they have a really good ability of using dynamics. Oh, yeah. it's And it's very extreme. There's something to be said about to have things that are loud and exciting for them to have any sort of really the, that effect of, of being loud and exciting is to just contrast it with the exact opposite, which is simple and subdued. And this song really has that, you know, it, it does Definitely. break down into that really chill part and then just kicks right back up. But the reason it can kick back up is because it's, it started from somewhere way down. Yeah, I agree. And, 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 um, you know, sort of conventional wisdom might say that you want the chorus of a song to be sort of the most exciting so you want that part to be the loud part to draw your attention to it. And then the verses would be the more quiet part where you're sort of building up and, and creating a mood that you then, you know, you kind of rock it off into the chorus. Exactly. Whereas this actually has the opposite dynamics where this has the, um, or it, it maybe more so, I guess, because that uh, the, the chorus of this song is, 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 a, is down. In some ways, yeah, it's very heavy, the chorus, because it's in that halftime feel. It's heavy, but it's not as orchestrated. Yes. You know, the drums fall out and yeah. you kind of get only a few guitars. Um, you know, I remember uh, uh, Metallica talking about that with the song The Unforgiven, where they deliberately kind of thought, well, let's change that around. Instead of having the sort of quiet verses and the, you know, chugga chugga heavy chorus, they want to do exactly the opposite. They have the extremely heavy verses and then the... And then it sort of breaks down and gets sort of groovy for the for the for the chorus. And there's any number of ways to create dynamics and songs. And we'll talk a little bit more maybe if we ever do. I would say, well, the album I'm referring to the album Albatross, uh, Big Rex album. Uh, they have a lot of that same thing. Very much the light and shadow and the, you know, the 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 dynamics is is all over that album, like start to finish. And that is a, an incredible album. But that is for another day. Yeah, that that is an album worthy of a whole podcast. Oh, it's because that's sort of the return of Big Wreck. It it is. Yeah, I mean, this was 1997 when this album came out, and this was when they were sort of fresh faced. You know, sort of. I think they were in. I think they were in their 20s when they made this album. Fresh out of college. Yeah, yeah. fresh out of college, and you know, getting out fancy of fancy record deal. Yeah, getting out of that grunge scene where they could might actually play some blues and stuff. Yeah. Um. It, uh, yeah, it, when we get, we'll get to, we'll get to Albatross at a, at a later time, but just as a final thought of, uh, of, uh, of that song, I mean, I, I have a sort of a special affinity for it cause I used to play in a cover band, um, and I was just like the second guitar player guy and, uh, we had a lead singer and we had another guitar player that would sing and I would sing like maybe four or five songs a night. Just when they want to take a break or have a beer or whatever it was. And uh, one of the songs that I got to sing was that song. So I always have sort of a special place in my heart for that. I, I felt actually and I begged them. I was like, uh-uh, I am singing this song. Yeah. Because I, you know, it was, it was such a, you know, something from my childhood, something from when I was a younger man. You know, I really wanted to sort of not pay tribute, but just sort of have my taste of it, I guess. Or, you know, sure. put my stamp on it kind of thing. That, that that song is literally how I got into Big Wreck because, uh, like you, I played it in a cover band and, and I'd never heard of the band until I played that song. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. One of the, one of the things that you uh, listeners are going to notice about this podcast going forward is that uh, I'm a little bit older than Adrian. <laughs> 
And uh, so it's cool that and we have whines about it too. <laughs> my voice hurts from whining. Um, we just have a different perspective about some of these things. Um, you know, when he heard it versus when I first heard it. You know, it's and I, I think that's cool because it it gives me a different perspective on it too. To be like, wow, absolutely. You know, you heard this when you were in college um, for the first time, and I'm like, well, I heard this back in the day when it came out on cassette, man. Yeah, <laughs> but let's not talk about that. Um, any final thoughts on that song? Nope. I really like the 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 sort of your breakdown of it. I thought that was super cool. I, I and again, that's something that I would never pick out. Can you pick out like when you heard that? You're like, oh yeah, that's a flat or sharp four. Yeah. You you just sort of knew it. Yeah. That's uh, that's insane. And I hate you for it. <laughs> um, moving on. Hello. Moving on. Um, the next song on this album, which I think we'll talk about really briefly, is uh, "Look What I Found." Yeah. And I think what's important about this song is that it introduces the listener in this album to the slide. Yeah. Uh, let's just let's just we gotta hear this intro because it's way too good. Yeah, it's way better than anything we're gonna be talking about ever. So yeah, here we go. Wow. It's it, again it just turns on a dime almost. Like it almost seems like it's a different song. Yeah. Um kind of like um I think it's called I just came back Colin James. How it has that like kind of it has that really like scratchy old record sound at the beginning and there's yeah. a slide guitar and then it just like kicks into a super 80s, you know, blues sort of sound which I thought was really cool. I just listened to that song today actually. But that is a perfect example of yet another Another arrow of amazing talent that this man has in his quiver. Yeah, that's not any sort of loosey-goosey slide playing. That's the real deal. Yeah. That's, so, that's hardcore slide playing. Not only can this son of a blank sing his balls off. Yeah. We can say balls on the podcast, right? Sure. Sure. It's part of the human body. That's true. Sing his testicles off. <laughs> um, That man can sing his ovaries out, let me tell you. <laughs> um, Not only can he sing amazingly well and play just the guitar in general like a like a rhythm guitar to sing and play yeah yeah and some of the stuff that he's singing and playing at the same time is, is not i don't that's it's that's being a drummer that that absolutely like it's that very hard to coordinate yeah, that it's it's not just you know banging out an e chord it's he's doing some pretty crazy stuff as I, he's singing. I have a personal difficulty of talking and playing like if i'm at a gig and someone wants to talk to me while i'm playing because they don't realize i'm i'm performing <laughs> right. um I, I can't actually talk back to people. It's either the playing stops or I, I my voice sounds like I'm melting. Wow. Yeah. Um, but not only that, and not only can he, of course, solo and, and play amazing, which we'll get to uh, as well, but the man can also play slide guitar, which is a completely different skill set for, for non-guitar players. It is an absolutely different skill set than just playing regular guitar. Yeah. And I think that uh, Adrian would, if you would like to demonstrate a little bit for us now. Yeah. So first of all, slide is a, a it's a piece of um, generally brass or glass or chrome uh, that you put on your finger, uh, like a large ring, basically, and uh, you can use it to fret the strings. Um, but you're not really fretting the strings; you're sort of letting the the slide hang over the strings, 
And um, what it does, it creates a very, uh, to me, it's a very vocal sound. It's very totally. smooth. It's very um, legato, I guess, is a word that you could use, a very musical word, uh, that everything can sort of tie together. There's no separation uh, with the frets. Right. Yeah, a fret is, a, is, is something that absolutely um, uh, divides the string. Yeah. At, at, for a certain, and basically, I mean, at the end of the day, stringed instruments, changing pitch, all you're doing is making the string longer or shorter. Exactly. Um, you know, and the shorter the string is, the higher the pitch. Yes. Um, so what what a fret does, I mean, this is probably pretty obvious, but what a fret does is it just, it shortens the string. It tells you how short to make that string to sound the note that you want, an exactly. A, a B, a C, whatever it is. Um, but you get a very definite differentiation yeah. between those notes. Yeah. Now, guitar players over the years, of course, have found ways to fudge that by doing string bends. Yeah. That kind of stuff. But another way, and perhaps arguably a more sort of maybe primitive way, um, yeah. is to is to use a slide. So you're actually hovering the slide on top of the string and uh, not actually pressing the string down to the fret. But as you go up and down the neck, you're you're not hitting those frets, but you're still shortening the string. So you get every microtone and yeah, every you get little every note along the way. Yeah. So it and, and as 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 sort of yeah, as as Adrian was saying, it's more like the voice where when you're singing a note, you can slide all over the place. Anything, everything in between, because your your vocal cords are not a definite, you know, perfect exactly. perfect way of, of of creating a note either. But maybe just play a little slide for us to kind of. Now, as a as a guitar player, how would you sort of like categorize that skill set? Like, it's quite different. It's I would very say. difficult. It, yeah, it requires a lot of concentration. And the hard thing with slide is when you first start to do it, you just suck. <laughs> no one's ever yeah. started playing slide and then just the first day got it. I don't it, think maybe their trucks. Maybe it's it's so it's a hard thing to get into because you just have to sound bad for a really long time. I mean, I've been playing guitar since I was five, so I don't know. That's a long time, I guess, that I've been playing, relatively speaking, for my age or whatever. Sure. Um, and I feel like only in the last like year or two have I not mastered it, but I'm comfortable enough to go on stage and do it. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I've just started to dabbling with slide in the last couple of years, and I would say that I'm slightly less than passable. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily want to go on stage, but there's, you know, I can get by. Yeah. I understand the concepts of it. Yeah. And that's the kind of the thing. And you take a guy like Ian Thornley, who's could very easily be an, a top-notch guitar player, just being an excellent rhythm guitar player and an excellent soloist, you know, but he says, eh, that's not enough. I, let, let's just let's push it as far as we can go, and I'm going to be a damn slide player as well. Yeah, and a monster slide, not just like a, and as Adrian was sort of saying, not just like a fly by night kind of here and there, like a, like say a Kirk Hammett, for example, from sure. Metallica. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but he actually does play some slide in a few songs. And again, it's passable; it gets the job done. It tells the story of the song, but he is by no means a slide player. He just he's kind of like me, where like he uses it to color. A certain part of the song 
but he's not a he's not a Derek Trucks type of type of player. Yeah, there are are big rec songs that are you know it just seems like the slide is what makes it work. Yes, I it, absolutely it is it is as integral to the song as any lyric as any other guitar part as any drums as any any bass anything else. It is just it is it is the it's the spirit of the song for sort of lack of a better word. Yeah. And this is this song that we're talking about now that we've kind of digressed slightly, but we'll bring it back around. Um, we've uh, we're discussing uh, this song. Look what I found um, is 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 the in, is the introduction of the slide to the album, and it's the first thing you hear on the song yeah. as well. It's just to show you, like, yeah, I can play slide too. What? It's almost like that would have been a good opening track as well. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, if you wanted to sort of like you know solidify the album as like more of a blues album you'd be yeah. like yeah here it is and I, maybe i wonder if there was a conversation about that putting that song third to kind of this is the two things we can do oh we can also do this yeah it's kind of the one-two punch yeah and then it's like oh you just when you think it's going to go somewhere else it's like uh-uh we're we're bringing the slide in now to really like you know launch you to a different dimension um but uh overall i mean really good song too yeah do you want to talk about blown wide open no, that's kind of, it's not my favorite. I just named a podcast after it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was you that named this as well. It was your fault. <laughs> well, I just, I don't know. I mean, not to get too literal, but I I, I kind of think of that, you know, the blown wide open sort of thing. Um, I mean, I imagine it as, as that's what we're trying to do with our love of music. We're trying to expand it. We're trying to like yeah. take it apart and sort of, Jesus, I keep gesturing with my hands. I'm knocking mics all over the place, um, you know, to sort of to blow this open, to sort of say, well, here's what here's some more stuff you can think about this stuff. I like the idea of putting the magnifying glass under. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Why don't you play us a little bit of this, would you? Yeah. So this is just this is a, a very, very classic song in the in the big rec repertoire. And it goes like this. Does it feel kind of a little bit like the drums are almost lagging a little bit? Oh, totally. Yeah, and I mean, again, that's I think that's an absolute artistic choice. That it's just like it's just a little bit behind, and it sort of gives it a little bit more of a of that sort of laid back, sort of you know loosey goosey kind of feel to it. It's not right on the beat and perfectly in sync every single time. It's just well, a little bit laid back it's a huge contrast from the song that uh, precedes it because uh that song is very punchy and 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 played very close to the drums whereas this song the riff and the the, the guitars and the the drums are doing a dance together it feels more absolutely like. and this has definitely that dreamy again we're going back to that sort of dreamy ethereal mm-hmm. sort of feel um and and I seem to recall that there was a video for this song made. Yeah. Um, that I remember seeing, and I, I didn't watch it in preparation for this, unfortunately. But from my memory, it's somebody falling down the stairs. Right. And I think that this whole album, um, according to Ian Thornley, was sort of um, 
it, it, it was about a girl that uh. really that really messed him up. Um, and I think this song is probably a large indicator of that. Absolutely. Um, and I think the the idea of sort of falling down the stairs is is I mean you know that's a pretty, we've all been in love. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a pretty good metaphor for being in love and and maybe falling out of love or whatever the situation was. Because I'm pretty sure that the girl that he's with now is not that same girl. No, probably not. But if you ever want to Google that that lady, she's very good looking lady good job ian well played fair play to you she knows now <laughs> she knows she, she heard this podcast i'm sure she did i'm sure she listens to this yeah well I, I hey i gotta say as good looking as you are i think you're miss you're you're lucky to have a man like ian okay just saying you <laughs> lucked out yeah that's terrible yeah um but yeah, this is sort of the the one of the few kind of ballads I would say on this album. It's yeah. obviously slower, and it's you know you've kind of been punched in the face several times by uh, the first couple songs, and now it's time to sort of bring it down a little bit um, with a song that is really expressive and really just almost sort of heart rending and heart wrenching and and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. It's it's a really great song, and also Ian Thornley covers his own song on a solo album years later. Uh, I believe that album came out in 2011, something like that. No, after that. It's it's sooner. 2015, I, maybe. I love when artists do that, when they sort of like... Re- and he, he reinterpreted the song. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever hear um, Joni Mitchell's album that she made of all of her old hits, but she re-recorded them? Really? It's... Have you, have you heard it? No, I haven't. It's amazing. And uh, we'll talk about Joni Mitchell, too, because that's, you know, A, more Canadian content, and B, you know, we want to make sure that this podcast is is inclusive. We want to talk about all bands, all genres, all styles, all genders, all non-genders, all everything in between. Yeah. We love music regardless. Um, but we'll get to Joni Mitchell, because that's another one from my childhood that I would love to talk about. But uh, she does an album where, you know, she... Uh, she does an album where she she goes back and sings the songs that she sung as a young woman, you know, an up and comer. Right. And now she's um, obviously, you know, older and she's kind of she doesn't have that voice that she had anymore. And she's sort of almost struggling a little bit. But it's so amazing uh, in doing so. Right. It shows the contrast of where you were is at one point in your life compared to where you are now. It's, yeah. Absolutely incredible. You have it queued up? This is a little clip of the uh, cover of the Blown Wide Open. I've never actually heard that before. It's really, um, it's more spacey than the original. Totally, totally. He I mean, sort of went deeper into what he was going in with that song. Totally, yeah. It's slower. It's even, it's it's more stripped down. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of less uh, orchestrated and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Often, what album is that? So that's Ian Thornley's Secrets album. Oh, really, that, really wonderful. Is that, solo the, is that the Ian Fletcher Thornley? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So because he because Ian Thornley also had a band in like the early two thousands, right? Called Thornley. Yeah, which also had some hits. Yeah, that was a really making machine. Yeah, right. That, that I believe that band worked with um, Chad Kruger from um, really, eh? Nickelback. Un, not not at all shocking. I mean, those two are friends. Well, actually, when I saw Big Wreck um, the first time, because um, we live in Vancouver, and Chad Kruger, I think he lives in Abbotsford, which is uh, down the street from us, and um, like two hours. But. Yeah, uh, he came out and did Thunderstruck with Big Wreck. And it was what? amazing. Oh, I bet. But what an odd choice. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I bet it was, yeah. Oh, yeah. Chad Kruger likes to get his dirty fingers in most Canadian bands, I think. Yeah. And, I mean, hey, whatever, man. Power to you. Yeah. We should do a Nickelback episode. We should do, a, we should do an in-defensive Nickelback episode. I would be down. They have totally, some great man. tunes. Absolutely. You know, yeah. they... they. Well, I don't know how much... Well, but, we we shouldn't get sidetracked <laughs> Yeah, I that. know, Let's, right? Because, you know, yeah. we'll be talking here for two hours. Yeah. Which, we have a rehearsal to get to. That's right. It should probably be noted that Adrian and I, at least currently at the moment, we both uh, are uh, playing in the same band. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, we're getting. Do we want to talk? We're getting ab- picked up in like 20 minutes, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should get rolling on this podcast, hey? Um, I really, uh, as much as I hate skipping some songs on yeah. this album, um, every song is great. Uh, there is sort of two that I want to talk about. Yeah, I think that that's important. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no bombs on this album. Yeah. In the negative sense. Um, but there's definitely songs that I think are are more crucial uh, to the overall vibe of the album. And I think we should focus on those a little bit because, you know, let's talk about the A pluses. Yeah. So the other one for me uh, is Under the Lighthouse. That's sort of like just a big, big, so big wreck hit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which was a third single from this album, but only in Canada. Right. That's correct. Yeah. And I think rightly so, man, because it is... It's an incredible song. Yeah. Interesting stuff going on there. Totally, yeah. Um, with the more acoustic sort of guitars and the, and the and the strong strumming and even maybe the the sort of uh, the the imagery of of the lighthouse, it almost has sort of like an East Coast kind of vibe to it. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I yeah. think there's something about that. Uh, the strummy thing really comes into how uh, East Coast music sort of is played yeah, it's in a that Celtic almost, kind of yeah, vibe, very yeah. very Celtic, yeah. Because a lot of Celtic music is built on like strumming a D and an A chord. You know. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the ingredients right there for yeah, that man. soup. Let's get drunk. <laughs> yeah. Let's get drunk and sing some songs. Because those are the only chords we'll be able to play when we're drunk. <laughs> yeah, that's the only ones we'll be able and, and listen, D is kind of tough. I don't yeah. know. Like that's, I don't know if I want to play that when I'm D-runk. Oh, that was terrible. Um, Yeah, this, I mean, again, it's another really, really good song. Um, another really good uh, slide uh evocation um, and that's one of those songs where uh when he plays it live you know there's guitar parts that don't have slides so he's switching back and forth between the two and he does it so effortlessly oh he's 
like, this could just be a, a, a two-hour yeah. love letter to the man. We're yeah. trying to focus on his music, but he is he really is incredible. And when you watch like live videos of him, um, there's a really cool series um, for Sir Guitars. Yeah. Uh, the Sir Factory parties that uh, Big Rec have, has played several of, at least two. Yes. Um, and Ian Thornley played one by himself. That's right. And there was a jam as well that I think he's involved in with Which some other amazing. players. Which is amazing. Yeah. But you see him and all the stuff that he does while singing, while switching from slide to not slide, while turning on and off effects, and it never once sounds... And like controlling volumes with his guitar and yeah. just so many things that he's doing. But again, it that's never... that 80s bag of tricks that when totally. you see it live, you go, oh, he's really working hard here. Yeah, he's, he's he's working for the money. He's not screwing around. Can you cue up some of that slide in that song? He's doing little pull-offs. And oh, yeah. We looked at each other in that one little this, funny this lick. Yeah, crazy, man. It's so good. Yes. Another, I mean... It sounds it's an like incredible broken, song. Yeah, yeah, it's another... It sounds like a broken record, but like it just is just another one of those songs that the vibe and the and the sort of, um, you know, the, the how many... When you listen to it, again, it's a, it's a really layered album. It's, it's well-produced. It's not overproduced. Yeah. It's not so much stuff going on and... Everything is so perfectly recorded. It's got a little bit of grime in there, but it, but it does, it, but it's interesting, and it all fits into the tapestry of that. And that's a really good example of. There's even there's even some organ in there, like uh, you can hear a little bit. Yeah, of, totally. Some Hammond or whatever it is. Yep. It's 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 it sounds inc- like, and that's uh, really deep in that mix. But man, without it, it just wouldn't be the same song. Yeah, it feels like we're almost kind of overemphasizing how good they are, um, which certainly. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> best I, segue I, I ever could, i tried no the, it was good man the last song on this album is called Overemphasizing." the song this song is ridiculous i just i, I want to shout into the microphone because i'm so excited about the, how great this you know monster of a tune is Yeah, that's just the beginning. Yeah, and you want to talk a so- talk about a song that pushes you, you know, that sort of it's constantly kind of nudging you a little bit, you yeah. know. This I think this is a really good example of that. And this is sort of just like in the middle of the song. What a great transition. I know. Great transition. That's that light and shadow again. This is also the longest song. It's almost seven minutes long. Yeah, it's a huge it, song. It really is, and it really is a journey. It's this song a, it's takes a tour time. De force. Yeah, yeah, it takes time. They they don't rush anything. They just let let things happen in this song. 
And this is one of those pieces I feel like it sort of sums up the whole album with you've got that really heavy, he's just screaming in that chorus. Um, But you've got the great slide playing on this song. You've got the chill vibes and the not chill vibes. It's it's the whole album in one song. It's the perfect album album closer oh totally absolutely and they've they've kind of done that a few times with some of their other other albums that kind of big closer or at least the not like the rocking out sort of closer they're bringing you down a little bit before they send you away um but yeah and it's kind of progressive i think that might come from that berkeley sort of uh style you know where they're not showing off but they're they're making the song interesting for people to listen to and it's a journey and it never gets boring never once do you'd be like all right, guys, get on with it. Like you're you're on the journey for the entire song, and I don't know for a fact what the song is about, but the vibe that I get from it again after reading that it's about a girl, I think you do get that sort of like I'm screaming at you kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And the slide playing is like very much you, you're it's just digging into it and really, really, you know. You know, even thinking about you know you saying that the album is about a girl, even the album title in loving memory of I know right what I. That's brilliant. Oh, it really is brilliant. I mean, what we're trying to say here, folks, <laughs> is this is a great album. If you haven't heard it, you've gotten a little taste of it now. Just go buy it and listen to it. And it's so good. Yeah, and in 20 years, 20 years, man. It was 20 years ago. Yeah. It has not gotten dull or out it, of style. It has aged excellent it really has and it's not something that was a stamp of it's like that's kind of this you know when you listen to new metal now it's like ugh, that was it was fun at the time but it doesn't hold up this album isn't a fad it's not at all a fad and it holds up today as i think as strong as ever and it could fit into today's music i mean some especially with like the folky elements and stuff a lot yeah. of like that's pretty well, maybe a few years ago but that was kind of popular at the time you know that sort of folk blues you know harpoons and the axe murderer and yeah you know even like um you know lone bellow and like those kinds of bands yeah. that kind of almost like kind of folk fest circuit kind of band these guys that could some of the stuff on this album could totally fit in that sort of genre today but then you have the rock and then you have the blues and you have the slide you have so much going on that an album like that will never get old sort of like a sergeant pepper kind of kind of album where it's a cornucopia and it's something that will never be a stamp of its time. It'll always be fresh. Yes. I think that's that's really all we have to say about this album. I yeah. I mean I, I have more to say, but Yeah, we don't wanna we don't wanna like take up all the space on your phone just with this one podcast for yeah. being five hours long. So we'll we'll spare you, dear listener, another seventeen hours of talking. <laughs> yeah. But I think that we made a good some good points, I think anyway. Yeah. And as Adrian said, you should go out and listen to this album. It is incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's it. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned for uh, following episodes. We'll talk about some cool stuff. Yeah, coming up is John Williams. John Williams is the next episode, so stay tuned for that. Everybody, thank you for listening. Have a great night. This is Ian. This is Adrian. And this has been Blown Wide Open.